guys, I know that we talked a little bit about it yesterday, but our little baby, our little baby turned 21 today. Oh, our little baby what? is 21 oh, episodes old. Our precious little Batman in quarantine is, uh, <laughs> this is episode 21 is what I'm trying to say. It's our 21 run. And like all good 21 runs, we have to shoot up with a bunch of heroin and meth. I do like to have a little coffee for these. I did pour myself a little 21 juice. Uh, <laughs> oh my God. So this is early in the morning. I haven't eaten anything yet, but I did want to make sure that we took this little podcast out for its big 21st birthday so um everyone bear with me as i try and get through this batman hey Welcome to Batman in Quarantine, episode 21. Our baby's all grown up. Uh, we're going to be talking about Batman 679. I Jeff. Think. Yeah. yeah. Can I? Well, I've always loved you. Oh, you sweetheart. Can I tell you the reason that comes to mind why at this moment? Yeah. It's like jovial and flamingo and light <laughs> that you are like you're just a very approachable presence you've always been a little bit punk rock you know? oh yeah you've always been a little bit like i don't give a fuck i will drink a little bit of whiskey in the morning or i'll have a i remember one of the first times i came to eat sandwiches with you at the shop before i worked there and it was like really rainy and super slow on a sunday and you had to do this big order and it was like nine in the morning and you had already drinking a stout you're just like fuck it. This I like I this I'm doing this all day long and no one has come in, um, and I was just like, wow, Jeff is like super nice and approachable and like seems, and I don't mean this in a derogatory, but like a goody goody, like just like a good dude. But he's yeah. also a little bit like there's a, a secret middle finger in there in those flamingo feathers. Just yeah. Ways. Um, I mean, I. You know, I like to be, I love people. And I also feel inherently inadequate every day of my life where <laughs> I go. So I'm always assuming other people feel that way and trying to help them not feel that way. I also fucking hate power. I hate hierarchies. I hate leaders. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, and that, yeah. that runs deep in my veins. So, um, you know, I'm a guy who smokes weed and, um, you know, drinks irresponsibly once I've finished all my work for the day. And um, that, that, line has moved a little bit today because there's no more important task on this day than the celebrating the 21st birthday of batman in quarantine i'm jeff your punk rock jesus as always here um <laughs> you got a little zarenra in you i do i do and i got my precious angels with me here i'm justin i'm roman roman and czar are oh <laughs> okay well i'm gonna get this day started now hmm mm. Oh, you know some stout with breakfast. That's a good idea because stout's like a meal in itself, so it's a good way to start. Yeah, it's like you know, sourdough of beers. Before we get into Batman, I know last night while you guys were asleep, most assuredly, uh, I sent out. But we got our very first email 
Pull it up on the bat radia. I'm going to pull it up on the old bat radia that exists in my mind somewhere. But I just want to say um, thank you. I want to get emails from anybody all the time. Please, you can get us at batmanincquarantine at gmail.com. It'll come straight to us. We love it. But I just want to share this very first inaugural email we got from a Sean Meyer. Hell yeah. And Sean wrote us just to say, just want to say I've been loving the considerate critical coverage of this run and I'm really enjoying following along issue by issue for the first time each day on my lunch breaks and then listening to episodes when I return to work. It's a very entertaining daily ritual. Somehow I read RIP before any of these lead up issues. So it's particularly fun to hear all the insight from y'all and I'm pumped to revisit that one. Thank you for lovingly cranking these episodes out, Sean Meyer. Thank you so much for the kind words, Sean. We love doing this. Also, think about how many people read Batman R.I.P. with no context. I want to hear from those people. Yeah, I do too. That's, that's, that's wild. <laughs> it's, it's wild now when we're reading it with yeah. <laughs> heavy quotes context. You yeah, know? as a reread with all of the appropriate issues leading up to it. That's crazy uh, to, to think about what it would be like to put that in you. But it, it really, in the larger zeitgeist, isn't necessarily conveyed. Like, at our comic shop, I usually, like, if people are picking that up, or Batman and Robin Volume 1, I'm like, yeah, that's really good. That's kind of like chapter three of a five-chapter book. But I don't feel like the world at large really represents it that way. No. So I want to hear from those people. Did you bounce off of it? Did you love it? Did you hate it? What was it like to just dip into RIP with no context? When people hear like the death of Batman and try to pick this up as like, oh, this is just a, you know, a story in the past that was important and just kind of exists. Like just going in raw like that, like, oh, I just want to figure out why they killed Batman. Yeah. This is like, and it married with Final Crisis is not a good way to start reading Batman. Like it made like, that would make me go, whoa, Batman comics are fucking weird. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's uh, true. At their best, they're fucking weird. Yeah. And, but that one is, just like you said, it's very Zurin raw. Oh. Uh, 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 what? Let's get into this thing. Um, I, I just want to say that in this run so far, we have been dealing with a very moody, at times silver agey, but sort of dark serious run and this issue i was like this is just so much fun like this particular issue it just goes off the fucking rails but at this point it's like you know maybe it's just the yellow and the purple and red everywhere or the tiny little bat mite character and the like over machismo situation dressed in this <clears throat> kind of colorful ridiculous outfit but Halfway through it, I was like, this really kind of is, is hitting me in a different, like, sort of humorous, fun way than it has before. This was one of my favorite issues in the run, just because it's, you know, it is like taking comic book meth. It's just, like, so over the top and bonkies and does not care. Um, I should probably stop the meth and heroin metaphors, but, you know, you know me, once I press a button, I have to press it several more times until it yeah. breaks. <laughs> He's still got to have some residual meth and heroin in his veins, given he was on the street oh, yeah. hours ago. And look how torqued he is. I mean, those, oh, thighs yeah. are, those thighs are normally strong and muscular and vibrating, resonating with pure muscle friction, but now they're especially that way. Yeah, he is torqued. Oh, I'm going to get through this door, and this opening page is is torqued boiled Batman down man with a bat 
and just yeah and this opening page is so tony daniel and so good i love it he's just busting through the door. he doesn't care he's had a bunch that, of coffee and whiskey i think that the tony daniels art really helped the tone of this because it is like gritty and and good like it's like nice high caliber art but there's so many moments in here that like juxtapose it as like is not too serious and like mm-hmm. this i feel like this issue was like w- both very serious but like seemingly not serious i don't know if, if that hit anybody else that way see this is actually struck me as very silver age just because it was so goofy i yeah. mean so, so fun and and and, and crazy <laughs> The, the the broad strokes of it is Batman is now Batman of Zuron R, which we've learned a little bit about, and we really get a better explanation for it in this issue. He is sort of fighting his way through Black Glove henchmen to ultimately try and get to where he needs to go. So we get a lot of information about what this Zuron R identity is and how it was constructed in this issue. But beyond that, it is sort of just like hanging out with a deranged Bruce or I guess this is what happens when you take Bruce out of the equation. Uh, but it, it's, it is this deranged version of Batman that is more in line with, you know, me feeling like an eight-year-old looking at what Batman is and just sort of like, all right, yeah, we're just fucking stuff up now. <laughs> yeah. yeah with, he's... with Robin and cool villains, like the, the trench coat guy with the lead helmet. And... Love him. Dude, also, it's, it's worth mentioning that Charles, Charles Olympian Charlie, bad guy, Charlie, Charlie Caligula, Charlie Caligula slaps somebody with a fish. He does. He, he steals gets, yeah. your move. Well, yeah. The, su- the, the submariner. <laughs> wait, what is your name? Your Nightmariner. Nightmariner. <laughs> the Nightmariner's move of the sockeye slap. I don't think he hits anybody with a sl- salmon in this, but he definitely hits somebody with a fish. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, his at form first is was, all off though. Yeah. 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 At first, and at first I was like, Hey, 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 but, you know, he calls him Senator Fishy. So, you know, he makes it his own. He keeps it in his own wheelhouse in a way. So, you know, that's cool. That's okay. And then Batman yeah. kicks his ass. So that's even better. <laughs> kicks his booty. Yeah. Roman is so comp, or the Nightmariner is so confident in his fish slapping ability that he's not threatened by anybody trying to, like, copy or imitate him. That's true. That's uh, true. Pl- plenty of fish to go around. <laughs> the Nightmariner. The, my yeah, my uh, par- paranoid conspiracy theory is that the ancient or the Nightmariner was Springheeled Jack, the the folklore you know murderer, and I just picture like a version of Springheeled Jack jumping from roof to roof with fish and you know, yeah, people and sliding. He's got fish strapped to his feet and he's sliding yeah. up. Yeah, it's, it's no, <laughs> I've seen it before. Like yeah. A little trail, little little trail of scales everywhere. Oh, gross, oh, gross. <laughs> So, I, Roman, I'm not sure if you read the Anatomy of Zuron R for this issue. Cody, our expert I, I, English professor, Cody Walker's analysis. I, I crammed it in really quick, like five minutes before we started recording. But he did, you know, point out the sort of the tongue-in-cheek nature that runs through this issue of, you know, Batman is beating people up with a bat for the first, like, three issues, which I do think is probably an amount of, like, Grant Morrison intentional, like, He's created a Batman persona that will create itself. You know, he ends up making a base in Crime Alley. There's like a there's an amount of like snake eating its tail. You know, where do things begin and end? And the idea that a 
a Batman without any like narrative would still find a bat and be beating people up with it mm-hmm. as a guy with a bat is that tastes a little bit of Morrison sense of humor. Oh, to me. for sure. Yeah. <laughs> kind of like a meta pun. Yeah. He is Batman, but he's also Batman. I really like the whole crazy, you know, this is probably the craziest the issue gets. And we go, we kind of pan back and forth through like serious and goofy. And it's good just to let it all out. Just to let that, crazy pressure valve release because it's a whole hell of a and it's good to have fun because right now we're in some like serious fucking territory so in the world and in this book so it is is, your point is even more true it's good to have fun and i think like to that point of tony daniels as a counterpoint to the zany nature of this issue just the shot of batman crouched over on two gargoyles looks like one of those typically badass pictures of batman but it's him like having an overly serious conversation with two gargoyles who are like very sarcastic and weirdly like tongue in cheek themselves. I love Bruce talking like this scene where he talks to the gargoyles for some reason that makes so much sense. Like a crazy Batman now has all these allies of these inanimate objects that like the gargoyles are everywhere in Gotham. They would see everything and they tell him about these grids. What do you guys, can you unpack your read of the grids thing? Cause I think, that that is an awesome idea that just didn't quite get developed enough in this issue. Like I remember really liking that as I read it initially and I liked it a lot here, but just the way that he tracks the idea of um, the grids, like, you know, the people build a city and then the city builds people and they grow on these grids like plants around it. And I think that's an awesome idea. And I would have loved to have seen that explored a little bit more, just the way that, you know, we built, well, I mean, it's very indicative of the times we're in right now, which is like our, our racist political social structure, okay. right? Gotham is doing that exact same thing, especially in the way that like it's, it will actively create a Batman at all given times. And I, yeah, just that's a very present Grant Morrison idea that I could have used like two more pages on or it coming back up later. Yeah, yeah. I, wish, I wish they had explored that some more because when the gargoyles bring that up, it's it's such a cool idea because you know that's well that's how cities are for the most part laid out is on grids and the idea that um that there there would always be a batman and kind of the the creation and, and continuation of the concept of batman is also part of that grid there's a batman grid that goes along with the city grid with gotham city grid that's a cool idea i would have i would have liked to that to have been a through uh another through line through these series it's like a psychedelic marxism like material conditions will always structure and create the same outcomes if the mere material conditions are the same but like gotham will always because it was built on a corrupt foundations will always produce its own antibody mm. like an ecosystem and yeah, i love yeah. that i love that um and that's a really yeah that's a nice nice gotham. look at the role of batman there that statement gotham. you made Gotham always gets the hero it deserves, right? So if it's a bad city or a crazy city, it gets a crazy hero. So, you know, Batman is the mirror to Gotham in so many ways and vice versa. My first read through of this years ago, I didn't, my brain, you know, it was a long time ago. So my brain didn't necessarily have the sort of like systemic nature with which I think this, he's sort of talking about this year. And the way that I kind of thought about that is, you know, we do see this gorgeous shot of Gotham with a kind of checkerboard grid placed on it. And I kind of interpreted that years ago as 
the way that Batman is able to watch the city is he sort of in the way that brains do chunking, they group things into like sets of seven so that you can remember more things at once because the brain can only remember seven plus or minus two. So the way that Batman looks at the city is by having these grids and he can kind of tell like, Oh, well that's that, that area over there. And if something is going wrong, here are several points I should make sure to look at because this is how criminals or people interact with that portion of that environment. And he's got this sort of like gridded out chunked out view of the city where he can kind of look at it less as a million buildings and more as like 13 different spots, uh, which I didn't interpret as much this time through. But again, I think one of the great things about Morrison is that you can, and art in general, but you can just extrapolate anything you want based on who you are at that time. Yeah, I, I also think it, it plays to Batman's whole, you know, he's the master chess player. Oh, yeah. The entire city is his chess board. Um, this entire book right now is like, there's a lot of themes of chess and masterminds playing their game. And also like, that's what a city does to its people. You know, it moves people along it's cap something like capitalism is always using its players to get or reach an end a city does that morrison talks about similar ideas in the invisibles there's a conversation about what cities are in that so i think viruses has, yeah yes yeah. yeah and the and cody walker makes sure to actually bring that up um in particularly for this issue because yeah jack i forget his name um anyway from the, the main character in the invisibles uh, yeah yeah when you eats the moss and kind of realizes the underside of the city and cody walker uh of the anatomy of zur and our book guy um really really oft draws comparisons between this and the invisibles and i almost feel like uh this guy just really likes the invisibles and kind of tries <laughs> to relate everything to that i'm I'm, yeah. I'm sort of like i think a better literary critique would to not be you know to always draw a comparison with this other work from 10 years earlier of the guy, but maybe, maybe those through lines are really there. Yeah. Well, I, I got, Cody I got Walker does it all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I got that impression from flipping through Walker's book too, that, that, okay, this, this Zer and R book is actually about the invisibles and <laughs> the Batman Zer and R run. I loved that Batmite acts <laughs> as the detective intuition here. So he's like, yeah, grids and stuff. That's very good, Batman. But the people know where you are and they're coming for you. I hope they didn't hide a tracker in your teeth. And then it's Batman like grumbling behind the thing. He's like, oh yeah, it is in my teeth. And he's like using a knife to like pull it out of his. And it's just like this, you know, it's amazing that oh, in janky. a serious run, he's able to do this just totally buck wild, fun, silver agey thing and not make it feel super out of context. But I guess... That is, you know, I shouldn't be surprised because it's kind of the thesis of this whole thing is how can we combine the current gritty with the, you know, the goofy Silver Age? For sure. That's all, oh man. I was just reading Batman's, or Batmite's dialogue there whispering in Batman's ear. And, and I just love in this issue how Morrison, he catches like everybody up on what's going on in the series, but it's doesn't it doesn't read like clunky expository writing because it's the delusion in batman's head talking to him so it all flows so nicely <laughs> he's master at dialogue for sure yeah it's just so good at at writing i i just it's funny like if this hallucinatory extra dimensional sprite version of yourself is the most rational thing going on. You have to be, like, if that's your ra your higher self, your rational self, you got to be in a low, low. Like, Bat be in a rough spot. <laughs> yeah, Batman of Zerenra is real crazy if Batmite's the one like, hey, man, we need to pay attention to what we're doing. 
Like Batmite, you don't even technically exist. Yeah, I, I love how it's you know you see how well you need Bruce to have a have a a really good Batman because otherwise he's just this crazy feral um, <laughs> using a bat because he doesn't have the I don't know the symbolic wits to like use the bat symbolism of the creature so he's just going to use a bat yeah speaking speaking to like you know if the most rational part of you is a bat mite character i spent quite a bit of time uh early this morning just reading through random blog post comments from people conversations about these issues from like 2010 2011 but one person suggested and i didn't think about this at all about when we talked about honor jackson yesterday somebody had said that like you know there's a lot of ways you can interpret that character bruce got drugged up and forgot everything and honor jackson you could read it as the equivalent of batmite because batmite isn't in that issue at all because he doesn't have any bat presence and it's only when he puts the bat costume on on the last page that batmite shows up in that one so it and I was like, that's a great read. Like everyone just has yeah. great reads on these books and I love it. And I was like, that makes a lot of sense. Like he wasn't bat referencing in that point, but even still there's this subconscious mechanism to get him to a bat costume yeah. to get him, you know, just that's a really <laughs> that's cool. clever, clever beat on it. That's, that's really cool. But I would say the big, really, really important. Well, a couple of really important parts in this issue, but the, the first really big one is the, there is, even though it doesn't feel clunky at all, there is a Batmite exposition dump of just what this is. Like, well, it all comes back to the yeah. space trauma experiment, the isolation, and Dr. Hurt got in your head and posted the Zur NR hypnotic trigger, which thought he would turn off Batman, and but he underestimated you, didn't he? And you created a backup personality, and he's like, okay, I guess you're right. <laughs> also, as a reader, I'm like, thank you very much. Yeah, yeah I was too, <laughs> And I love the fact, you know, and Bruce asked, if we can still use the term Bruce, um, he asked Bat Might <laughs> to explain that. And I, and I love, and I just love the little nod. He said, did, did something happen to my mind, old chum? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the, the inclusion of that type of writing is, he taps into that Adam West nature here, which, again, is one of the theses of this run. I love that. Yeah, yeah, me too. I, as I was reading and, and going through it, they what, an explanation that some people have created is that during, you know, like this little bit of text says, all this stuff came out during the trauma of the space isolation experiment. And, and it kind of refers to when like the Batman of two Earths and Robin dies at dawn, th- those elements of the story as like fake psychotic flashbacks that he had while he was in this state. And I'm curious, do you think that what they're trying to do or Grant is trying to do here is say not necessarily all of these things strictly happened, but he has like memories of them because he was in this delusional state. Or do you think he really is still trying to incorporate like, no, he did go to a different planet early on in his career. And, and, you know, are are those particularly zany silver agey issues, things that exist in his head because of this psychic experiment, or do you read it as they did actually happen? I, I read it as um, I read it as that some of this stuff, like the Batman of Planet X, um, happened in his head. I mean, it's still, as far as you know, affecting his um, emotional state and his growth as a character or, or disintegration as a character, whatever. It's all true in that way, as in that it affected his life. 
but some of the stuff from the Silver Age and stuff was all in his head. Yeah, I feel like the space experiment is a way to give you your cake and eat it too. Like you can say that these things were technically, they did happen, but maybe not in physical neat space. You know, I, that's my read of it is like Grant Morrison created an awesome story kind of plot device to explain all of this without making it like, cause how could he go to other planets and also right. be on Gotham? So to have this like kind of mental or internal realm that things can take place on because of his mind being distorted, I think is like a genius way to explain that away. But I think it, it leaves it up to both. You know, I, I think that that's the genius of it, but in my personal interpretation, I think these are psychic or mental events that happen. Okay. I, I sort of took the thesis of it all happened um, as like, no, in his young times, like that Silver Age stuff did happen. And I really, and I, I really like what you guys both, you know, your read of it as well, which only kind of just occurred to me in, in this issue is that, yeah, exactly. You can have your cake and eat it too by saying mm. they are real because he thinks that they happened. But the objective Frank Miller, Alan Moore fan would say that like, no, those were fantasies in a delusional state. And um, that way you can really appeal to both both yeah. people, which I yeah. think is awesome. Yeah, it all happened, but some of it just happened in his, in his bat mindscape. Dude, Roman, I thought about you. Some person in a comment on a blog just went down for this, the the deep or whatever his name is the crack it, the guy in a coat with the metal 10 can. Oh yeah. The Kraken or, or someone, yeah. <laughs> someone did a deep dive historical explanation for what this character <laughs> is. And like the name comes from this Australian song that in the seventies almost became the Australian national anthem by this. Oh, 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 not the, not the Kraken, the, the, yeah, the Australian guy, the night Rangers villain. Yeah. Dark sorry. Rangers whatever guy, the, yeah. the, the, yeah, yeah. That one. The guy Robin had, fights. Yeah, I, yeah, and that's what I'm looking at here. I had no idea those underpinnings of of that character, and just like, of course, all of it, and even <laughs> down to the the coat and the helmet, all of it is like in in line with Australian history. I'm like, that is, <laughs> goddamn, cool. I don't know that stuff at all. Like, there's so much to get out of these books for people who are not me as well. Yeah, that that is awesome. Because yeah, I keep forgetting who this character is and until this issue when he's actually um singing waltzing matilda which is the australian that's the song, song. okay yeah um he's singing it when robin sneaks up on him and or when he's confronting robin in the junkyard and i and until he was singing that song i forgot forgotten who he is who he was what his associations were <laughs> why he was of here of course you knew that song already yeah, i was I excited had... to drop a history note on roman because he loves <laughs> history but yeah. well i didn't know all the stuff about roman history. is history yeah he is the living night fish of history <laughs> well, well, i forget why i know that song i think the john lennon or something like did a goofy cover of it once on some like b-side of some album or something i forgot that you and john played together roman yeah 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 you wrote a lot of his lyrics right yeah they called they called they used to call you know sometimes they used to call me the the seventh beatle oh (laughs) god oh god that's a lot of extra beatles (laughs) yeah i really as as we move forward uh the bit where tim makes a phone call out while he's fighting somebody uh, and we're able to see him you know like gosh the the old man's in trouble he's into some deep stuff here and on the following page we learn that he called knight and squire which i think is awesome for the consistent internal consistency of this story but man um when barrel says he said something about batman being in a lot of trouble and a club of villains and then the other guy says club of villains 
can't have that barrel. And I, that's just my, I, that's just the best. Well, can't have that, you know, it's just the best response. And just another part that just made me like smile with like, that is so not the tone of the run up until this point. And it, I love it. Well, can't have that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's awesome. One of the first things that made cracked me up was before that when Batman's on the roof attacking these um, gargoyle masked villains. When he jumped after he distracts them with the pigeon with the homing device on it, he <laughs> then he jumps out that crazy jump out attack and he says the classic line that usually the villains in that situation say where he's just like behind you <laughs> that <Yeah>. starts thrashing <laughs> him. <laughs> yeah, like a Frank Miller issue. <laughs> We get a real nasty sequence in the cave with Dr. Hurt abusing our favorite butler, Alfred. Yeah. Oh, I know. Son of, son of a bitch. Yeah. He's a sick fuck, you guys. Yeah, he's hurtful. And that's when he really gets into trying to say, like, I am Thomas Wayne. But I think that this issue and Alfred's statement in regards to that is why I always had a pretty healthy dosage of doubt. And I really loved the perverse idea of like, is this Thomas Wayne? But when that's the weapon is the perversity. Like that's the actual attack on Batman. Yeah, it is. It's it's dirty. Yeah. It's to like denigrate and yeah. To denigrate Batman's personal history in his life. Like that is a psychological war tactic. That's, Alfred to say I knew Thomas Wayne you are not Thomas Wayne like I don't know for some reason Alfred saying that removed a lot of doubt in my mind as to who Thomas Wayne because he's the one sort of through line of I knew Thomas Wayne before and I have the ability to know that these lies are not true but I like I love actually the line right before Dr. Hurt breaks the bottle on Alfred's head Gosh, the way that the text bubbles on this were bolded. His wake-up betrayer, the usurper, was never my son, was he? It was you. But the, the, the way I had to emphasize it in my own head um, was to change the bolded word to my son, which is the usurper was never my son, was he? It was you. Which is, I love this idea that Thomas Wayne would be, like, resentful towards alfred at the idea that maybe this is your fault and you were trying to steal my spot as a person and as a father and as a you know gothamite i like that alfred can defy that immediately but i did i really like that line of dialogue of just you know the usurper was never my son it was you you know you're the actual problem and you were trying to take my spot and yeah he's trying to get under everyone's skin yeah and yeah. and and the fact and the just that and the, and the under I guess the underpinnings of that statement is that to the reader is that a little reminder of, well, yeah, Alfred is essentially Bruce's dad. Mm -hmm. Um, I I just thought that was a nice little, little subtle reminder of that fact of how important Alfred is. Do you think that there's also like, so there's, you know, the fact that Alfred parented Bruce more and was there to take care of Bruce more. So Thomas Wayne would be resentful of that in a weird way. Do you think that he's also trying to imply that maybe, because he says my adulterous witch of a wife, do you think that they're also trying to imply that Thomas Wayne isn't actually Bruce's dad and it was like an affair between Alfred and Martha? Ooh, I I didn't interpret it that way, but I really like it. And I also love Roman's sureness with it. That's awesome. Well, yeah, because in that issue, a couple issues ago, um, when that, oh, who was it? When that guy's trying to convince Commissioner Gordon, isn't that one of the things he says is that, yeah, Thomas, or... Martha cheated on her husband with the butler. 
right? Oh. Which is like just to like add an entire layer of kind of seediness and everything that Bruce knows to be sacred is not true. Like, oh, my mom was cheating. Like that just completely tears apart Bruce's, the thing that Bruce holds dear the most, which is his childhood. And something about pouring the champagne on Alfred is so disrespectful. Yeah. Like it's like in a way calling him bougie and calling him vain and saying that he's like money obsessed. And also like, since Alfred is a butler, it's like denigrating his job. Is he the one who would bring the champagne? Yeah. 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 And have to clean it up if there is a mess. Right. Yeah. Now clean up the mess with all of the blood draining down your face. It's just so, Dr. Hurt is just, like Joker is insane and brilliant and just like evil on a different level. But this is like a really personal kind of small, like, I don't know, there's like a, Joker's kind of this cosmic abstract impersonal evil at times, especially in this run, like this evil you can never understand because it's just evil for evil's sake. And this is like the kind of evil only a resentful, vain, bitter little human could make. And that type of evil is more terrifying than to me than a cosmic evil because the evil that you know, it's like the 10% that's in all of us brought fully out. Like, oh, he really sits in my skin in a bad way. Thomas Hurt is just, yeah, I, I hate him. He's such a connively little <laughs> mite. I don't know. I, 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 <laughs> yeah, I think a little worm. I think Jeff had said in an earlier episode that, um, Dr. Hurt, he's the he's the scarier, more terrifying version of kind of Hugo Strange, because Hugo Strange is supposed was, to be the psychological mastermind and everything, but Hurt is much actually, but Hurt is much, much more effective at that kind of attack. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he he is. There's like, you know, scary, like Baba Duke kind of scary where you're like, oh, that's represents kind of evil as an idea and that's scary. But then there's like scary, like a serial killer who's like, no, that's someone in the world that the world went, got wrong. You know, the world was so bad to someone that it created that kind of bad. And, and I, I think we can all relate to like, even the most moral people, I challenge you to tell me that horrible things don't come in and out of your head. You just right. have a better, better ability to shut them off or ignore them. Some of us get real scared about having those thoughts there are people who have those thoughts and then act on them. And I, I, like I agree. That. Yeah. I think that it makes it even scarier because there's a relatability to it. Like it's, there's one thing to be dark side, you know, he is the embodiment of all evil, but he's right. also, you know, it's hard to process it on the level of somebody in a street who's going down and, and murdering your dog and then your mom. Um, right. Right. I don't know why that was the worst scenario I could draw up right then, but that was what I came Pretty up. bad. Yeah, <laughs> That's my dog. And I have my, cats. Yeah. yeah, just Hurt has that kind of evil that can only come from a malformed human. And that evil just, I don't know, it takes a toll on you in a way that an abstract evil may scare you in the middle of the night. But, you know, that's an evil you can see is Dr. Hurt. And he's wearing the mask of all of our kind of projected fathers. So. Right. And the, the cape. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, uh, it like him doing this felt really dirty and personal to me while I was reading this scene. Like, you know, Alfred is also kind of our cosmic caregiver in a lot yeah. of ways. He's, he, he is kind of Marth. He's almost a motherly figure where when Bruce doesn't have it. And so for him to do that, it's just like, it, uh, there's more of a portrayal there than when Joker comes at you with a crowbar, like, this person got into my life and 
abused everything I held sacred. I don't know. There's a dirtiness that I don't think even Joker as like this crazy Satan butcher guy that he is now isn't quite as personal as like, no, this is the person in your, you know, that betrays you that, you know, you know, that's your. Speaking of the, you know, crazed butcher Joker, the final three pages of this issue um, do wet the appetite quite a bit because we are taken to Arkham and we've got Le Bossu, right? Uh, the hunchback is been parading. We don't know for how long as a doctor or surgeon at Arkham Asylum. And he, his lackeys all beat the shit out of Amadeus Arkham. Uh, right. I think it's Amadeus. He's the son of the original one. I forget his name, but um, the current Arkham owner and is going to do an emergency lobotomy on Nightwing. And also then goes to the Joker to talk to the Joker. But we do get a scene of the El Sombrero and he's got two boxes of roses and it says, don't let the roses touch or, you know, horrible shit's going to happen, which um, was explained. And again, the clown at midnight issue, the all text issue that is, you know, him talking about how there was some clowns at a funeral and these black and red roses touched and everyone died. So we know that like some poisonous chemical reaction happens when those black and red roses uh, meet, which I didn't pick up really the, because I hadn't read that text issue originally years ago. Um, I didn't pick up the importance of of that as, you know, before that pays off later on. Shit is about to go off in these next two. Shit is about to go off. And, yeah, we get the Joker, and, uh, he, you know, he says he's not coming yet. Batman's not coming yet. My nails are still drying. And then we just get this great shot of Batman running through Gotham with his bat, chasing, you know, getting ready to go to Arkham to chase down the Joker. And we see the Joker card with a spot of blood from the dead man's hand at the beginning of this arc uh, as that final page there. Yeah, and those final pages really, really amp up the, uh, the red and black. Yeah. Um, symbolism. That yeah. bottom, that bottom panel with uh, Libasu standing outside the Joker's cell, the the black and red tiled floor, which we've never seen in Arkham before. <laughs> I no, just and, love, I well, just love that. carrying paint. Yeah, in. two panels above they are. Yeah. So yeah. they're going to paint the floors to fit this whole kind of cacophony to finally destroy batman's mind as soon as i saw as soon as i saw that i started connecting it to the um the red room in twin peaks oh the black lodge yeah yeah yeah, the black lodge yeah <laughs> oh i love that i almost i, I was gonna turn the page i was almost, i was like oh is the joker gonna be speaking backwards that'd be cool <laughs> yeah this this issue is a lot of fun kind of almost seemingly out of nowhere right like it's it is a very dark perverse serious moody run so far with moments of levity but um i really liked the the stark juxtaposition of this is still dark and moody and the art is gritty but it's also so 70s-esque that it you know it made me smile while reading it and i just thought this is a lot of fun what we are doing is a lot of fun my friends it is (laughs) this is kind of like the last gasp of lightheartedness for the next little bit you know this is we're breathing out our last last little breaths of childhood because it's it's about to get real gross and dark and so it was good to have a little bit of fun before like shit gets heavy so next week we'll cover the final two issues of this one is going to be an oversized one and then i thought it would be cool to like record just a okay we've kind of finished the big first act of this whole thing oh i think the that's... first third of it and just sort of maybe get Django in here as well and just have a sort of 
decompression of like, okay, what have we learned? What are the through lines? What's going on with this before we start in on kind of the big next phase of the whole thing? I think it would be good to bookend every one of those. Yeah. Like do that after every big thing because there's a lot to digest. There's a lot of through lines that I think we don't know are there that once we talk about it, we'll find more. Yeah. Because um, they're, you know, the next phase is such a new wave of kind of new shiny new batman a new tone yeah yeah that there's probably some connective tissue there that all of us have missed um because there kind of has to be but uh for it to work and it does work so yeah i think that would be really good you know i still don't know kind of the difference between inner and outer events at this point yeah yeah and i think that that's probably probably intentional on our good friend grant's part Love but yeah, uh, and then I'll probably do like a feed drop for our big, perfectly acceptable co- podcast final crisis episode, just so we can record a two hour or we can, we don't have to record another giant two hour bloated conversation about final crisis. All the red and black dominoes are in place, my friends. They are in place, my friends. So that is the plan for the next, uh, probably next week. And gosh, you know, I'm just excited to keep moving forward through it. Guys, thanks for helping celebrate our baby's 21st birthday here. It's growing up into a real, mature, good little buddy. And like every good uh, adult that is maturing, it has to face some of its own shadows. And this book is doing that here and now. Most most assuredly. To, 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 you know, go from being a bat mite to a bat man. Go go through all this this underworld growth. (laughs) Killing it, Roman. I love you. On that note, this was Batman in Quarantine, episode 21. Thank you all for joining us. On behalf of Justin Cassatt and Roman Sadler, I am Jeff Figley, and we will see all of you next week. 